You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good morning. I, I want to underline the baptism, which will be in two weeks. Um, baptism doesn't save you. Baptism just shows that you're saved. It's like a, it's like a wedding ring. You're not, you're not married because you have a wedding ring, but you get a wedding ring to show that you're married. And baptism is really the first important step in declaring yourself to be a follower of Jesus. And so if you've never been baptized, uh, we invite you. To, uh, to be baptized in a couple of weeks. It's, you're here among friends, everybody will cheer, and, and everybody. it's just a great way to go public with your faith. And it's, it's always a very decisive moment for every Christian when they get baptized. So other thing I wanna encourage you to do is today is Filipino Day in our... Uh, and so we've got uh, in, in our between services, a little brunch there. We've got authentic Filipino food made by authentic Filipinos. And so <laughs> this is a big Sunday, so I invite you just after you leave here, just go right over and, and grab some. I think you'll en- enjoy that. Do you have any rules of life for yourself? You know, like, I will never co-sign alone. I only date Christians. I will never skip getting in the Bible and praying in the morning. You know, just non-negotiables, which have become habits because they know, you know they keep you safe and happy. If you do, you're in good company because for centuries, Christians have been... Uh, creating rules, simple rules of life for themselves that keep God and his will central to their lives. They, they may not be able to enjoy, to, to remember a particular command from the Bible in the moment, but they can always remember their rule of life. And it keeps us safe and happy and avoiding a lot of unnecessary hassles. Well, this morning, uh, I want to talk about uh, Five habits to bless you. We are finishing up Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We're in chapter 16. And chapter 16 is a lot like most of the last chapters in Paul's letters. It's, it's a lot of personal stuff. Here's some details about what's going to happen. I got talks about a couple of friends of his and some other people and sends greetings from all the churches. And, and, but right in the middle, right in the middle of this, Paul gives these five final brief commands. It's almost like you're probably not going to remember everything I said in this letter, but you've got to remember these because if you'll practice these, you'll do everything else. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's pray and jump in. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you've given us your word as a, a lamp to our feet, a light to our paths. You've promised to bless all those who hear and do your commandments. So we pray that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey what your spirit has to teach us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I want to first give you just an overview of chapter 16 so you'll kind of know what's there if you haven't read it. And then we're going to focus on these five commands. Paul, last week we saw Paul uh, explains to the, uh, uh, the Corinthians that he'll be coming to Corinth and take the collection they've been collecting for the last year to Jerusalem, or at least sending it with whoever they send, and he'll send letters there. And now he adds, however, I'm not coming right away. He's in Ephesus right now, in, over in Turkey. And he says, first of all, I want to come to, through Macedonia, which is north of Corinth. And so I won't be getting there real soon because I want to be able to spend some quality time with you. In fact, I'll probably spend the winter there until the weather clears up so we can sail to Jerusalem. But in the meantime, I'm going to stay in Ephesus for a while because a wide open door for services open. There's many adversaries. I, Paul is a, is a planner. But he's always real flexible in his planning, and when there's an opportunity opens up, he's, he's ready to take it. Then Paul talks about a couple of friends of his, uh, Timothy and Apollos. Timothy's away on a trip, and, and, and Paul says, if he shows up in Corinth, be nice to him, because he's kind of timid, but send him to me. And, and Apollos, who the, the Corinthians knew very well because he was their second pastor after Paul left, very popular. Apollos is not coming right away, but he'll come when he can. And then Paul gives these five commands, and then he talks about somebody that the Corinthians knew very well, a guy named Stephanus, who had been a leader there, and his friends have come and are with Paul in Ephesus, and that's how he knows so much about what's going on in Corinth. And finally, he gives greetings from all the Christians in Ephesus and Asia. I'm always amazed at the end of Paul's letters how many different people Paul knew around the Mediterranean. He was he was obviously a people person. But we're going to focus on two verses, verses 13 and 14. I want you to look at the commands Paul gives. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And when I first read this, I, I got, why do you stick this in here? And I think... Paul is saying, if you don't remember anything else I told you, remember this. Because if you practice these five commands, you'll do everything else in this letter. And so that's why I want to look at these commands today, take each one, and we'll look at what it is, why Paul told the Corinthians that they need to apply this to their lives, and then why we need it. Does that make sense? So let's uh, jump in. Rule, number, rule of life number one, be on the alert. Stay awake. Because nobody falls into sin all at once. Right? We're kind of like the, the proverbial frog in the, in the bowl of water on the stove that's slowly heating up, and he just gets more and more used to it until he boils to death. He could leave anytime he wants, but he doesn't. The way to destruction for us is made by small, easy choices. I mean, how many times have you said, if I knew then what I know now, I never would have, and you can fill in the blank, uh, I never would have gone to that website, I never would have applied for that credit card, I never would have dated that person. I never would have watched that whole series on Netflix. 
I would never gotten into the habit of skipping my time with the Lord every day. That's why Paul says, be on the alert. Because sin doesn't just appear and you fall, it creeps up on you. The word be on the alert means take heed, lest negligence allows destruction to come upon you unawares. That's what the word means. Now, why does Paul give this command to the Corinthians? Because they were asleep. You can tell. There is not a more messed up church in the New Testament than the Corinthians. And there's not a prouder church who just thought they were the most spiritual people in the world. They're divided by factions. They're tolerating sin. They're suing each other. They're visiting temple prostitutes. They're worshiping demons. They're abusing the Lord's Supper and, and their own assembly. They're proud of their spiritual gifts while forgetting the spirit that gives them. They're tolerating beliefs that are antithetical to the gospel and all the while thinking they're the most spiritual people in the world. And Paul says, wake up. Wake up. Stop fooling yourselves. We are under constant attack of the world. We carry about within us an enemy called the flesh. And the enemy of our soul is always working against us. We are in a dangerous environment. And we will be vulnerable to anything if we fall asleep. That's why I wake up. So let's talk about ourselves. Why do we need this command today? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in the garden and he asked his disciples to pray with them. And while he prayed, they slept. So he came over and woke them up and he said, keep watching. That word watching is the same word Paul uses is be on the alert. Keep watching and praying. Why? That you might not enter into temptation. The spirit is weak, willing but the flesh is weak. How do you avoid temptation? Watch and pray. When you leave home in the morning, do you pray, Father, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil? Because if you don't, he may not. He needs to be asked. Paul, Peter writes, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, same word Paul uses. Your adversary, the devil, continually prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. My gosh, how can I defeat him? Well, he tells you. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brother in the world. Your temptations are no different than anybody else's. And after you've suffered for a little, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The devil has no chance against God. All we have to do is be on the alert so the temptation doesn't take us by surprise. One example of this, I, I have found that movie ratings are worthless. And uh, I'll go, I'll watch a movie on TV or on the, on the internet or go, and I'll find it in a scene that I should not be watching. And it's just uncomfortable. 
because either I've got to fight this battle and close my eyes and, and just kick myself for being there or fall and be even worse off. I found it's a lot easier to be on the alert and before I watch any movie, go, go to the web and find out everything I can about the movie. And the web has every scene you can find. And what, here's stuff to watch out for. Just go to the parents alert and pretend you're your parent. And, uh, and it will tell you whether you can go and relax or not. But just plan ahead. We will, you know your temptations, right? And you can kind of stumble, well, maybe today will be different. Or you can say, this is what's going to tempt me today. How, how can I be ready? Because if you're ready and you're watchful, you won't fall. Does that make sense? Important habit. This will change your life if you just keep your eyes open. Be aware of where your weak points are, what you can fall to, and plan to it. Rule of life number two, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. What's he mean? It means be clear about what you believe and don't deviate. God has revealed truth in his word. Do I believe that Jesus is the son of God? Yes. Do I believe that all my sins have been forgiven at the cross? Yes. Do I believe that God is guiding my steps day by day as long as I ask him? Yes. I believe it because the Bible says it. True faith is firm and confident. It doesn't vacillate depending on how I feel today or what crowd I happen to be with. Now, why does Paul command the Corinthians to stand firm in the faith? Because they weren't. They were divided. They were tolerating stuff they shouldn't tolerate. They were suing each other. They're committing immorality. They're failing to meet each other's needs. They were exploiting their gifts. They were like the surf of the sea, which is driven and tossed by the wind. Why do we need to be stand firm in the faith? You know, since I was, gosh, just a young, a young teenager or a young, young adult, I remember our society has preached to us tolerance. But it has redefined tolerance. The old definition of tolerance was be nice to people you disagree with, right? The, the, the definition of tolerance I've heard for years is be open-minded. Leave everything up for grabs. Don't be too sure of anything because you'll be intolerant if you are. And now our society is no longer preaching tolerance, if you notice that, is saying you cannot believe uh, unless you believe what we believe about sexuality or gender or various political and social issues, you're a bigot. You're hateful. Faith is always firm. Faith is always clear in what, about what it believes regardless of the cost. I, I love the story of Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, if I believe everything the Bible teaches, except the one thing the world is currently attacking, I've denied the gospel. When Luther was taken uh, to trial before Charles I at Worms, uh, this is what he said. Do we have, did I put that quote up there or did I not? Apparently I didn't. Huh? There he goes. Luther was asked before the church to recant everything he'd written 
everything he preached. He might not, it was, a, it was a, a real test of faith for him. In fact, he had to wait, pray about it all night before. But as he stood before his, his accusers and before the king, he said, unless I'm convinced by the testimony of the scriptures and by clear reason, for I do not trust in the Pope or councils alone, since it is well known that they often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. And as he may have also said at that point, here I stand. Faith is firm. Faith is clear. Now, that doesn't mean you'll always feel firm. Some days I feel forgiven. Some days I don't. Some days I feel loved by God. Some days I don't. Some days I believe God is guiding my every step. Other days I'm not so sure. But see, it's not my feelings. It's what my faith in the word of God that matters. By one offering, he is made perfect for all time. Those who are uh, sanctified in him. Has God forgiven all my sins? According to the Bible, he has. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Does God love me? Jesus says, I, I love you as much as God loves me. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. Is God guiding my steps? Whether I see it, whether I feel it, I believe it because that's what the Word of God says. Where is your faith being tested right now? Where are you being tested? Because we all are. It's easy to believe when you're not being tested. It's very difficult when you are. And that's the time that God is pleased when we say, I don't care how I feel, I don't care what's going on around me, I believe God. God is pleased by proven faith. And that's why he's always testing our faith and proving our faith. So stand firm in your faith. What does my faith tell me is true? That's what I believe. Does that make sense? Rule of life number three, act like men. Now, in our culture, that sounds kind of chauvinistic, doesn't it? Don't act like a woman, act like a man. That's not how the Corinthians, because in Corinth, in, in, in the book of Corinthians, Paul is not contrasting men with women. He contrasts men with children. And so when he says act like men, he's saying be mature, grow up. Why does Paul command the Corinthians to act like men? because they are stuck in immaturity. Look at some of these passages. And I, brethren, 1 Corinthians 3, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. The, the Corinthians haven't grown at all. They're still immature. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be babes, but in your thinking be mature. The Corinthians were just the opposite. 
In evil, they were mature. In, in the faith, they were babes. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. And that's what he's telling the Corinthians to do, act like men. Do away with childish things. Act your age. Why do we need to act like men? Let me ask you a question. How important is your spiritual growth to you? Because nothing is more important to God. He saved us to make us like Jesus. And that is his primary concern while we are in this world, growing to maturity in Christ, becoming like Christ. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10. Do I have these up here? Good. All right. I'm just rattling this off, assuming you're, you're reading this. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Godliness means Christ-likeness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline, that is bodily exercise, is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is this we labor and strive because we fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. Godliness and Christ-likeness is something we have to work for. Just like you don't get in shape physically unless you work out, you will not become mature spiritually unless you work on it, unless you cooperate with God. That's one of the big reasons the book of Hebrews is written. Hebrews is written to Christians who are going backwards in their Christian life rather than forward. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Concerning him, and he's talking about Melchizedek there, which is a different story. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of what? Because of practice. Have their senses trained to discern good from evil. The Hebrew Christians were going backwards rather than forwards in their Christian growth. In fact, that's true for all of us. If we're not going forward, we're regressing. And it's because they had neglected the Word of God. They weren't accustomed to the Word of God. And that's why finally in 1 Peter 2, 2, Peter says, Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. In order for me to act like an adult, I need to be in Christ's Word daily. I need to be hearing from him, hearing what he has to say to me. Let me. If you're still confessing the same sins today you were confessing five years ago, you're really not growing. Growth takes work. It takes work in the word, hearing what God says and then figuring out how do I apply this by faith so that I can cooperate with God and let Jesus mature me. So act like men. Act mature. Two more. Rule number four, be strong. Let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself a strong person? Do you keep going when others quit? Do 
you say no when others give in? Do you stay positive when other people start griping and complaining? That's why one of the most oft-quoted or oft-repeated commands in the Bible throughout Old Testament, New Testament is simply be strong. Be strong. Because to walk with God, you've got to be strong. Here's one of my favorites. This is from Joshua. No man will stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you will give this people the land I promised to their forefathers. Only be very strong and courageous. Be careful to do all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Now, you can imagine when God says this to, to Jonah and jo I mean, jo to Joshua, and Joshua would say, I don't know about this. I don't feel very strong. I don't feel kind of weak. Maybe you should get another boy. No, be strong because it's in the strength of the Lord. One thing I've, I've realized is how important my mindset is whenever I'm going to do anything. When I'm doing a hard set of 100 freestyle sprints on a short interval, I find that if I don't start off that set by telling myself, be strong, this is going to be hard. You're going to need to be, be strong. I will quit halfway into it because I was tired. This hurts. The pain's too great. I have to mentally prepare. I'm going to be strong. And that's kind of the idea here is being strong is being strong in the Lord. It's not feeling strong. It's acting strong because you believe God's going to give you the power. Look what uh, Paul says here. Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Why does Paul tell the Corinthians to be strong? Why do you guess? Because they weren't. Chapter 3 says, For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere, mere men? Don't you? You're no different than anybody else. There's no supernatural strength in you. You're depending on your own energy. Why do we need to be strong? Pool I used to swim at. Uh, had a big sign in the locker in the coach's office. It um, said, some believe they can and some believe they can't. And they're both right. God's strength can only be accessed by faith. You're not strong because you feel like you're strong. You're not strong because you feel like I can do this. You're strong because you believe God will give me the strength in the moment that I need it, and so I'm going to step out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but underline the word with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so you may be able to endure it. Do you behave as a person who believes that God will give me the strength to do what he's called me to do in the moment I need it or not? Because whether you are or not, you're going to feel the same. You're going to feel kind of weak and unsure. 
But the person who is strong in the Lord is a person who steps out, totally dependent. God will give me the strength. No, I'm not going to do that. And the strength never shows up until the instant you need it because it's accessed by faith. Some of you believe you're strong. And some of you believe you're weak. And you're both right. God's strength is only accessed by trusting him and depending on him. Be strong. Finally, final rule of life, let all that you do be done in love. When Jesus was asked to summarize the 613 commandments of the, of the law and ask, what's the greatest of these commandments? Here's what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. What does God want for you? He wants you to love. He wants you to love him. He wants you to love your neighbor. In fact, you could summarize all the commands of Jesus into three. Love God, love your neighbor, love your enemy. If you've done those three things, you have obeyed all his commands. Why does Paul tell the Corinthians to let all they do done in love? Because they didn't love each other. They're jealous. They're competitive. They're critical. They're suing each other. They're unconcerned about how their freedom affects other Christians. They don't love God. They're tolerating immorality, idolatry, abusing the Lord's Supper and assembly. And that's why Paul spends a whole chapter, chapter 13, talking about what love is and why we need to love. You're not a mature Christian until you say, let all that you do be done in love. There's nothing more important. Why do we need to let all that we do be done in love? Focusing on our responsibility to love clarifies and prioritizes what we should be doing. Should I buy this or enjoy this? Well, what would somebody who loves God do? Should I go to church this morning or stay home and watch the NFL? What would somebody who loves God do? Should I join a small group or leave that evening free to do what I want? What would somebody who loves God do? How should I treat my irritating neighbor or my negative sister-in-law or the local politician who is always on the wrong side of every issue? How would somebody who loves his neighbor, what would they do? Doing everything in love won't make your life easier, but it'll make it simpler because you know what to do. I'll give you one example. This has helped me in the area of evangelism. I've struggled with evangelism for years. I, I want to do evangelism. I want to share my faith, but I've always focused on the message part and how to get the message in in a clever way and, and not be offensive and yet make the gospel clear. And, and I've had a hard time because a lot of people don't want to hear it. And, and recently I realized that I am not concerned about the person. I'm concerned about the message. 
but God calls me to do let everything you do in love. And so since recently, since I've been focusing on the person rather than on the message I want to get across and just showing them love, how can I show that person that I love them and start asking them questions? The more I get to know them, the more they open up, the easier it is to see, okay, here's how the gospel applies to them. And I have a lot more examples that way. Francis Schaeffer, who was a, a great teacher and evangelist in Europe, was once asked, if you had an hour with a non-believer, how would you spend it? He said, I'd spend the first 55 minutes getting to know them and the fa last five minutes sharing the gospel. I think that's this idea, letting love dictate the way you do evangelism. Does that make sense? Where do you need to grow in love? And who do you need to grow in love? You say, but I'm not very good at loving. None of us are. John writes in 1 John 4, he says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who doesn't love doesn't know God, for God is love. We are not natural lovers but God is. And the way we learn to love is by getting to know God and his love. And the more I get to know God, the more loving I become because I begin to imitate him. You will never find the love in yourself for other people. You don't have it. We don't have it. By this, the love of God was manifested in our part that God sent his only son in the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And the more I understand what God has done for me through Christ and understand that love is really behind the whole good news of the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. That's the whole point of the gospel. And the more I believe the gospel, and get to know the God who is love, the more I'll find love becoming a higher and higher priority in my life. You cannot be a mature Christian without love. You cannot uh, live a safe life without love. It's, that's, this is kind of the, the greatest good. Paul says in uh, Philippians 3, he says, I have not already become perfect. I have not already become mature. But forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the situation we're in. And I think if you will embrace these five habits and make them habits, you'll find your spiritual growth will accelerate. Let's pray. Father, thank you again, for your clear instructions of your word. Lord, I pray you'll take these words today and cement them to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.